0: Beats with Rob O'Connor.
1: Your music now. This is Beat. This is Irish Beats with Rob O'Connor, and in the virtual studio with me today is Mr. David Keenan. He is a man who, in the latest press notes that I received from him, it doesn't describe him as a singer songwriter, it describes him as a singer storyteller. And I thought that was quite interesting. It kind of caught my eye. Uh, and David you put a lot of characters in your songs and there is generally a narrative to your songs, even if it is a dreamlike narrative. What is it about the vehicle of the story that appeals to you?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure who wrote that press release, you know, but uh, it wasn't me. Um, Singer, songwriter, singer, storyteller, poet, you know, there's 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 ways and all those things and I'm not sure if I identify with any of them do you know what I mean uh, but but anyway for the sake of the interview uh storytelling I mean I suppose if you want to go back historically and look at the the context there it's for me I don't really look I don't really overthink those kind of things for me it's a, it's it's a way to express myself and I haven't read into it too much beyond that you know other people seem to Latch attach me to, attach my name to these kind of titles, but, uh, that can just bog things down, man, and confuse, you know, and, uh, look, I write songs because I, 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 I find real joy in it, you know, and I've been writing as long as I can remember. Um, it's cathartic. The first time I, I wrote a song with any kind of serious depth in it, I was, uh, a very very young kid not even a teenager probably maybe 11 mm. and uh it was a way for me to just vent and express myself and I wasn't I was really unhappy as a kid and uh I didn't know what was happening at the time but I felt safe and tuned in and uh it was a relief and it made me feel good so it still does all those things you know and uh I mean, I've written a little book of poetry. I did it because I wanted to, you know, see, see if I could uh, put the words down without any music, but I wouldn't consider myself to be a poet of any renown or anything like that. I just love, I love the, the, uh, the mechanism and I love language and I love uh, expressing myself. So that's really it in a nutshell. Do labels bother you? Yeah, well, I—I I mean, they're just words, aren't they? And and you know, you can identify with them one day, and then the next day, they, they don't make sense. I—I um, I just think there's a lot of baggage that comes with those kind of titles, and and uh, I mean, I, I've wrestled with them myself, and my own insecurity has has played a part, and then my own arrogance has played a part at times as well, and thinking I'm a great poet or a great artist or whatever. I—I I, I think. Um, all those things just get in the way, you know mm. uh, yeah. labels bother me yeah because you you can you can be fenced in by them and and they also confuse an audience, you know, like um they confuse an audience, I think you said that I use a lot of characters in the songs, and I've been accused of that in a kind of negative way as if I'm trying to be evasive or something it's not if you look back actually and study the form of of songwriting or poetry back to even antiquity, you know people are, people are referenced all the time. People are referenced all the time in hip hop songs or Mm -hmm. or rap songs. But because I think I'm coming to the form with an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar, there was a certain expectation for me to just, you know, follow a certain script of the last 10 or 15 years in Irish music, you know, Irish songwriters and the Glens or the the Demos or the Damien Rice or, or, or the Hosier or whatever. And, um, I, I just trying to I always try to do my own thing and, and not mm. get fenced in. But then you, that confuses people, and people just don't get it at all. And that's grand. I'm not trying to be universally liked. It's it's a selfish endeavor, really, first and foremost. And then if somebody connects with it afterwards, then happy days. But that's not my responsibility, you know.
1: Mm. storytelling is and I mean this with no disrespect to you uh, or anyone else it's not anything new like humans have been doing it for thousands of years you know like that's what we do we tell each other stories
0: yeah yeah it's how we understand what it is to be human Um, language was born around fire and the imagination was born and uh, no it's nothing new I mean everyone's telling their own story you know you're you're telling your story the, you know, on, on on radio, you're telling you you're leaving your mark in some way, so um, that's very good, <laughs> No, yeah, you are. I mean, that's your vibration, you're putting it out. That's you're the bird in the forest, and that's your voice, you know, and it's it's beautiful, you know.
1: Um, David, so y- you move around quite a lot, y- you've got a kind of a a kind of a wandering nomadic existence uh, or certainly it seems to, to me I mean I, I, I don't know you very well uh, but every time I get something about you and going oh Jesus he's, he's, he's in Mexico or, or in Dundalk or Kilkenny or London or Paris or wherever or Barcelona it could be anywhere at all um, according to I suppose does location affect your writing? do you draw on specific places for inspiration
0: yeah very much so and uh, even diet affects my writing you know like really you, well I mean just whatever you consume you know if if you're drinking tea if you're drinking whiskey if you're you know if you're on a certain diet if you're in a certain environment you know like um it's all gone into the vessel and then it's been churned away and and uh, the output is for me anyway, usually songs, you know, but it seems to be a, a, a habit that I formed where from maybe the age of 17 of leaving, just leaving places and and, uh, and I could get all, you know, uh, <laughs> I could get all like um, psychological, I could go into all that, running. what am I running away from? But I, I just, I've been lucky that I've been able to travel so much with music Music's been my passport, you know, and uh, and it's led me to meet incredibly interesting people who've, who've informed a lot. But uh, um, I like being on the road. It's very, very intense and then I like coming back home or wherever home is and uh, bedding down and, and shutting off for a while, you know.
1: So how, how right, so let's, you mentioned some of the work that you've released and you have been very prolific over the last number of years so A Beginner's Guide to Bravery which was your debut album you had EPs before that but the, the album comes out in I think it was January of 2020 if not January it was February it was very early in 2020 uh, then something else happened but we won't talk about that for now if that's alright uh, there's you release a live album you've got Alchemy and Prose which is a recording of a gig in the Olympia I believe uh, you have Soundings of an Unnamed Bird, which is your book of poetry. And then last year, the What Then, your second full-length album is released. And I can hear a sonic difference between the first album and the second album. And it's funny you mention how What You Consume or, or, or goes into you, because as I listen to What Then, I'm getting kind of shades of Scott Walker or Jacques Brel off it. It's a bigger production if you know what I mean, there's more reverb on it compared to, say, um, a beginner's going to bravery, which actually sounds very Irish. And I don't mean that in a negative or any sort of judgmental way. It just, there are two things that perhaps sound different. How, how does that strike you or that observation strike you?
0: No, I think you're, you're, um, you're on the money there in terms of, uh, I mean, look, the record, how it was made, the conditions making, cooking up what then were much different. Um, because of what was happening externally, I needed to make an album, you know, because I was bursting to make a new record. And after the first one, uh, I went to I went to Paris and I was there on my own for about a month. It was just, all I was doing was drinking and writing and not much else. And it was pretty destructive, you know, but uh, because I was so afraid, I think, of being on my own, I was on the road for about three years, surrounded by people. And I totally forgot who I was beyond this kind of ice cream man, fulfilling everybody else's needs you know like just giving out 99s no offense ice cream man i love and I like it but you know what i mean i was servicing other people and i wasn't looking after myself and uh, there was nothing left and so what then was was basically me kind of putting myself back together again but it was made in a studio over three weeks which was a lifetime compared to the first album um the first record was made with a band who had been playing with for two years gavin glass who was in the band with me produced it. Whereas the second record was John Mooney, a fellow who I just met the first day of recording. Uh, I spoke to him on the phone, you know, and and, and I just liked what he, what he did in his own band in terms of string arrangements. Mm. Uh, because I wanted to make a record that was a very much of like an internal landscape, whereas Beginner's Guide to Bravery is this wild, kind of very beautifully naive, uh, Record full of idealism and and you know innocence and it's live and it is very Irish like you said in terms of the connotation musically and colloquialism so but the second record I was like I want to turn people off you know <laughs> for me that's, that's that's what I said to John Mooney I said I want to I want to turn people off so I can be turned on and and I can turn alien is it
1: your Dylan goes electric moment is it is the, like I know that's a kind of a cliche but.
0: Maybe it was. Um, I just kind of felt that I had um, exhausted one way of doing it, and all those songs and what then were, you know, new bar beggar to beggar, which is which was with me for years. You know, I just never got a chance to record, but I just got a bit disillusioned with the whole thing doing it one way, and I wanted to see, okay, what you're actually capable of here, David. You know, without a band around you what can you actually achieve with your own ideas and your own decision making? And, uh, you know, what, what, what have you got in you? That's what I was saying to myself, you know? So would, would you, going
1: back to what you were talking earlier about labels and, you know, categories or, or trying to put people in boxes or whatever, whatever you, whatever you you want to call it yourself, are you, would you like to maybe explore other genres of music? Like, for example, might there be a
0: kind of,
1: might there be a hip hop record in David Keenan? Or well, might I mean, there be something that's more electronic-y or synthy?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, the, What Then Cried Joe Soap, the the, the, the drums on that, the, the backbeat on that was very much hip hop inspired, you know. Because, like, I mm. listened to, when I was a kid, I listened to, again, I love language and I love people who rhapsodize, you know. <laughs> I listened, I grew up listening to Tupac and Biggie and all that. You know, it wasn't just, I didn't just crawl out of like a Lord Byron's, you know, den of <laughs> or something with, with suspenders on at the age of 20, you know. I grew yeah. up on the streets of Dundalk, man. Yeah, you're <laughs> the town. Yeah, but um, I don't, like, this is the thing, these these labels and these, I just like, that, that's an interesting sound. With this song, I don't kind of discriminate mm. and actually... In the last while, the songs that are coming, I've been, I've been actually freaking myself out. Oh, that's not this whole ego thing that David Keenan doesn't write a song like that, but there is no David Keenan. David Keenan is just an eggshell, you know what I mean? That I need to, I need to outgrow and I'm trying to do that as a, as a human, you know, cause it can, it can box you in this, yeah this reputation or whatever like that, and it's, it's yeah. limiting. So I'm trying to get out, get away from all that and just be free in what I'm writing.
1: Yeah. There's, I, I was chatting recently with a, a musician from down these parts, uh, Alex Goff is his name, and on yeah. paper people say he's a hip hop artist. But he actually he, he doesn't like that label because he sees himself as just uh, he hates the term artist because it, it, there are notions associated with that. And maybe there's an Irish thing where we don't like to be yeah, perceived as having background. notion. But I yeah. mean, he he wanted to, he, he produced a, a mini album. Then he did a live version of that, but it was very jazzy because he wanted to just explore some of that kind of sound. Uh, and now he said the next thing he's going to do might be more singer songwritery. And then he might do something that's just dance floor bangers. Um, he doesn't like the idea of being pigeonholed Brilliant, in yeah a Certain group, and even then, I think about it like when I was younger, there was you were into guitar music or you were into dance music, and never the twain shall meet. And it wasn't until there were bands like the Chemical Brothers or Daft Punk or something like that, where it would, if you were in one camp, it was okay to like the other. Now, that was it's, it's a reductive view, it's a very silly view to have. I don't see that today. I don't see younger musicians or you just younger music listeners worrying about. Liking one thing and therefore I can't like the other. There isn't those mutual exclusivity boxes that we put ourselves in, which, again, is echoed by you talking about I want to make music this way, I want to make music another way, and the next day you could do something else.
0: Yeah, it's very much just expressing yourself and not being, not being, uh, you know, rigid. And you see that in society. I mean, gender fluidity. You know, so it's, it's 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 we're becoming more fluid and more open and less, you know, less, less boxed in. Um, but even the word artist getting hung up about that, I mean, I, I experienced that as well. You know, artists, you can't call yourself an artist. Jesus, you might you might insult the neighbor, but that, <laughs> that, that, that again, is, that's bollocks as well, you know, yes, because, yes, yeah. you, you know, we, we, um, we put so much emphasis on, on, on uh, this kind of parochial, oh, what, what will the neighbors think? Or how can you be different? And, Again, I'm, I've only got one life. You know what I mean. I'm, gonna, I'm only going to be here the once, and I think I, I I was so hard on myself when I was younger that I worried so much about what other people thought, and, and uh, it's it's madness, really. It's madness. But we're conditioned that we're conditioned to uh, to think that.
1: Let me ask you about Beggar to Beggar,
0: which is the
1: current single from uh, the album What Then from David Keenan. Now, again, according to the press notes that I have in front of me, it says that this is a story about, or it's based on a true story of a young David Keenan being a huge Laz fan for the band The Laz, and uh, deciding to go to Liverpool to seek out uh, Lee Mavers of the band and... Whilst you're on your adventures, you're given some sage advice by two streetwise vagabonds. So I have two questions about this. Nice. So first, the first one is, what is it about the Laz that would inspire you to seek out Lee Mavers? And I'm going to be 100% straight with you. I remember the Laz from back in the day. I remember I actually bought their, 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 their the first album, or is it their only album, on a CD 100 years ago. But I can only remember two songs from it, which is There She Goes and Son of a Gun." Now, I think they're killer, jangly guitar music. It's excellent. But I want to know what is it about that
0: speaks to you? Well, it is what you described on the surface, on the surface mm. level. But if you allow it to permeate, there's a secret in there. There's there's something there's something sacred in, in that music. And it's, it's uh, for some reason, it revealed itself to me as a, as a teenager. Not that I'm any way special, but I just, it. In it, it encapsulates just kind of the the sacred qualities of melody, you know, melody, and uh, I think that's that's what his genius as a songwriter uh, that was that was such a strength of his. It's just the dynamic and the melody. It's not just these guys with acoustic guitars. But what what, what got it with me was there was a video I saw them on Canadian television or something. They were wearing Adidas tracksuits, you know, and they had like kind of mod haircuts. And I never saw anybody like that before who looked kind of like me and was playing an acoustic guitar and singing so beautifully. And uh, these songs were so intricate yet they seemed so accessible. So th- that's a real genius. Like Flan O'Brien, I think was another influence on me years ago. He would give this great profundity in his writing. But then he would he would drop a, a total like you know banger in, in in a comedy banger, so it wasn't pretentious and it was accessible, and that kind of seesaw just fascinated me uh, at an entry level of this this band. So I was in Dundalk and all I used to do was walk around and around this town because I had no money and I was in force and uh, I was I was isolating myself from the world. So when I discovered this music. Um, uh, I just became obsessed. There was a blog called Diaries of a Rock and Dole star and, uh, this, this guy in Liverpool. I thought, well, that's me, you know? So I read that and, and I explored all these bands from the nineties and the eighties in Liverpool and the Lomax. And I just decided to get the ferry over and, uh, and look for, uh, any members of the last. And I, I came across, uh, came across three of them, three former members of the last, um, and ended up playing with Barry Sutton and John Power and uh, Cami as well. And uh, worked in the kitchen in, in, in Albert Dock, scrubbing pots, two Iranian guys. One was a Kurd, the other guy. So it was like a civil war. I had to be the, the go-between. I was only a teenager. You know? I was getting – this blew my mind, you know. So um, drag queens from Glasgow, six-foot-tall, you know, serving. All this, all these things I'd never experienced before. This was wild. This was Carawack stuff. So I did meet – a couple of these characters at Buskin and Beggars a Beggar Road itself. Then after that, but that was a magic time for me. And I got it at the tail end of, it was the end of an era really. And I caught it just before like Cumberland street in Liverpool was being cleaned up by the council. And I was just there before the cleanup occurred. So I was grateful for that. Yeah. An, and again, you talk about a certain energy and, and those, those Liverpoolian musicians had it, you know?
1: If there was one lesson from that experience that you learned, what do you think it might be?
0: To be open, just to be open, you know, um, in spite of how uncomfortable and, and, uh, I was, you know, as I said, I wasn't, in hindsight, I, I was very brave, you know, and, but I was just naive and also desperate to get away from where I was at as a, as a teenage kid, just desperate to get away and you know I projected that about like where I where I, I projected that of my own experience because I was miserable you know not to say that Dundalk is, was miserable when I was a teenager but it was my experience Um, I was desperate to get away and, and to belong somewhere you know and when I came back I felt like I had a story and there's nobody that could begrudge me that story because I had lived it man you know what I mean I'd lived it and I had a, a couple of songs and there was nothing that was going to hold me back, you know. I had the fire in the belly, and I still have it.
1: There is, there's something about it, like what you're describing there about Dundalk, and I, I think you could, you could probably project any town or city. On top of that, any place, village, most teenagers up and down the country, they feel like maybe they don't belong in their hometown. Probably because they've grown up there all their older life. They know everything. They know backwards, and it's only maybe when you go away that you maybe start to get a wider perspective on things, and then you might appreciate certain things at home. Like, for example, I can tell you now, during a teenage, when I was a teenager, I'm from Waterford, I wanted to, the idea of living in Waterford and being here was, that would have sounded like hell to me. But as I got older and as I travelled around and I went to other places, I actually realised, actually, hang on, I quite like being there. I like, there's something about that that I want to go back to. Mm -hmm. Um... I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily Dundalk or, or Kilkenny or Barcelona or France. It can be anywhere at all. It's just there's something about a hometown and a teenager trying to broaden their horizons that is perhaps a little bit stifling, which is maybe why
0: so many Irish people have gone abroad. Well, this is it, and it is common. I think that for me uh, specifically, you know, home starts with being at home in your own body and your own mind you know and it's taken me it's taken me a long time to to get any kind of sense of being settled there um so maybe that's why I move quite a lot but then you have to you have to bring yourself with you all the time that's the thing um and in the last couple of years I've certainly uh I've I've certainly um befriended myself in a a, a more holistic way you know so that's that's part it's part of experience Rob but the thing about it is uh, you know I think I had to do a lot of my growing up on stage in front of people. <laughs> yep. you know, and and then, and then, like I said, after the first album, it all came back. Kind of, it all came to a head, and uh, I was faced with all the all the work that I had to do, and uh, I'm I'm glad I'm still here and <laughs> and uh, releasing music, you know.
1: Okay, I want to ask you a question now, and I, I it's about Garakane, and if you don't want to talk about it. That's absolutely fine. I'll back off and I won't ask it and I'll move on to the next thing. Mm. So how do you feel about
0: that? I don't mind talking about Gar. He's, he's, uh, he's still with us, yeah.
1: Okay. So Gar, Gar Kane, he was, he was your bandmate and he very sadly died in October of 2020. Now, I didn't know the man. Uh, I, I'm, I, I never met him. Everyone I know who knew him spoke very, very highly of him. Um, but of, uh, he obviously had his demons and they ultimately got the better of him. Uh, and he committed suicide in 2020. On reflection, and with a bit of distance, what are your immediate thoughts when you think of Garkay and the person? Well, you know, I, uh... now, that's a tough question. I do appreciate that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Gar's family are, are, I don't want to be scratching at any wound, you know, in terms of people's healing, but I, yes. I love him I'll, I'll, and I'll talk about him all day, you know? Um, and when I think about him, I just think of a real gratitude that he had for, for the opportunities that we got to, to share together. You know, like Gar was a couple of years older than me. He was an amazing musician. Um, but, but that trip with the first album of Beginner's Guide to Bravery and even a couple of years before that, you know, playing upstairs and wheeling downstairs and we, we started getting bigger gigs, we were just on that adventure together, you know. And we we, we worked um, we worked best, I think, when, you know, we had a little bit of adversity. Um, but He was a protector for me. I mean, I was in, you know, I, I was in dark, dark places, you know, and Gar was, was there. And he'd always say, you know, just give me a call. Don't be there on your own. If you want me to be there with you, give me a call and I'll be there with you. Uh, so, you know, and, and some, sometimes you're going through that kind of stuff you don't appreciate maybe as much. But in his absence, you know, I, I you get you get vivid clarity on how... how I, I, I see exactly how he helped me and how he was there for me. And uh, I miss him dearly, you know. And um, obviously the Olympia gig in May... Will be two years since that Olympia gig, uh, January twenty twenty, which was Gar's last gig. Um, it was his last gig, but it's it's all filmed and uh, and uh, we we have those memories, you know. But look, you you just don't know, and and the mind is the mind is a fragile place that needs to be looked after and cultivated, and um, and I think there is more of a shift towards men opening up and being vulnerable and uh, and being there for each other. Um, so when we when I do play the Olympia again, I mean, his photograph will be blasted onto the wall. <laughs> yeah. So maybe he'll be there. You, know.
1: you you wrote a very powerful song about him. His name was Gar Kane, and there's, there's, there's a line in it that really, that still sticks in my head, which is, won't you give me a dig out, my friend? Which is very Irish but it's equally it's not very Irish because as what you've said a lot of men don't ask for help and aren't very you know aren't very forthcoming looking Mm. for assistance and it doesn't matter whether it's depression money whatever you're having yourself I just there's something about that line maybe given the subject matter that line really sticks with me was it therapeutic for you to write and record that song.
0: Um, yeah, I think I just wanted to help. Uh, I couldn't get back for the funeral because I was in Spain at the time, and you know restrictions, I couldn't get back. So um, I just wanted to help in any way without you know intruding too much. And uh, you know, I love I love Gar's family very much, and uh, it was it was it was cathartic. Um, but I mean. If, it was a flippant, really, attempt to, to, to try to sum him up. I mean, I couldn't do it in three minutes, couldn't do it in three hours or three days, you know, but uh, it was just my way of, I wanted people to to, to know his name. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't just a statistic for me or anybody that knew him, Um, and I played in the Olympia, and everybody that is at that gig is going to sing that chorus, you know, his name yeah, was Gar- Gargain, you know, so that's why I wrote it in that way. So. People can, can can sing it uh, so easily, um, but yeah, look, life throws these things at you, and uh, you, you know, I just, I, I can be, I hope that you know, I can be there for for his lads, and and uh, his memory, you know, will 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 honor us as long as all of us are around. So. Yeah.
1: Uh, I didn't mean to be flippant or, or in any way prying about that. That's not my intention. Um, I, I just think it's a, I think it's an excellent song. I really like it, and I, I think, um, I, I think it did it justice because it's not Maudlin, and equally it's not saccharine. Um, and I don't think anyone could ever sum up somebody's life in three minutes. I don't think, I don't think that would be expected of you or any other songwriter. But I think sure. that the fact that you did it is, is a credit to you and your character. Um, if anyone is listening and has any issues around uh, depression or suicide or any issues like that, you can text HELP to 51444 uh, to contact Pieta House, or you can email joe at samaritans.ie, and there's always help available. David, to be a little bit more lighter, uh, you did invoke the gig in the Olympia, so that's coming up on the 5th of May. This is a rescheduled date, look. this is I yeah. think this was supposed to happen about three times now at this stage, was it?
0: Yeah, yeah, we got we got there. We got there. The fifth of May, it's happening.
1: So, so, the fifth of May, right? Is that going to be your first proper David Keenan gig since all in Ireland since all of this COVID shite kicked off?
0: Well, the first full capacity gig, anyway. Um, we did we did a tour before Christmas with the band, and uh, we did some Irish dance, but. All right. We did, well, yeah, we we did Cork, we did Belfast, we did um Belfast was full capacity, but uh we did uh Galway method the two shows um to split up the the audience capacity, but uh yeah. Okay, we, we made the most of it. We were just getting into a flow when when the when the plug was pulled again. But look, everybody is going through the same boat, you know. The only thing about it was that I wasn't willing to play to a half capacity, you know. As I said, uh, there's obviously the the element of of wanting these new songs to get the chance that they deserve in front of an audience, wanting people people to get you know the their money's worth, and not a watered down version of you know a half empty room. And uh, for me personally, you know, you know, there's no guarantees of playing the Olympia every year. You just I, I may never play it again. I may play it every year for the next ten years. Who knows? But I wasn't willing to to just do that, you know. So. The 5th of May is the new date, and also a hero of mine, Jinx Lennon, is, is, uh, is supporting me on the night. Oh, class. So that's um, that's going to be magic, and I think we're doing a song together. I recorded a song with him on his new record, um, so we'll probably sing that together on the night. And uh, of course, Jinx is uh, inimitable in every yeah. way.
1: He's, he's one of the most energetic people I've ever seen on stage. Yeah. You can't say he he, he never holds back. And he never leaves anything off. Like he's just, he's, it's all there. He's great. That'd be, that'd be a great gig. That'd be a great gig. Um, so what's next for you then? You to, I know you have some dates kind of, she's uh, all around the world. You're, you're off touring, are you?
0: Um, I think I've got some gigs in London in April. Um, the Olympia Dundalk on the 7th and 8th of May. And, you know, one or two things might come in, but to be honest with you, i just got back to Ireland. I've got a rake of new songs yeah. that I'm I'm working on and uh, that I'm hoping to record soon. Maybe it'd be a record, maybe not, you know, I'm just going to re- enjoy recording them. And that's it, I'm just taking it easy, you know. I'm uh, I- I'm getting better at that. And am not kind of like, you're talking about notions, you know, not the attitude of, oh, I around, you know. I only got back to Ireland and, I'm staying in my in my, in my partner's family home and I had this, you know, these old ideas come back and haunt. We're talking about earlier as well about about a, this kind of depression or manic head. And, and we can be like tormented by these old conditioned ideas that can be with us from maybe generations before we were even born. So I was sitting here and I just arrived back in Ireland and my head was gone. You know, I felt really uncomfortable just sitting. I should have been building a wall or I should have been justifying my existence as a, as a person, as a man, all these things. But I'm getting better at just kind of not shadow boxing with that bullshit in my head. And I've, I've got enough on and uh, I'm well. I've got new songs. I'm going to work on them. And that's the, that's the priority for the next while, you know. So there is a few gigs in. I can't wait to re- record and play with this new band. Uh, some great players in it and um i'm blessed man I'm really really blessed you know i've people who love me care about me and uh and it's the same with me and and people listen to my music you know there's 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 people who seem to be into my music who are really into it and they've they've been supportive for many years and uh and they're open as well to new to new work you know and and you know it, i'm happy i'm a happy man today so
1: excellent. Well, that's a lovely way to end it. The album What Then from David Keenan, it's available now. Uh, you should go out and buy a copy of it immediately. Uh, the the live album Alchemy and Prose, that's also available, as is the uh, a Beginner's Guide to Bravery, the debut album. Uh, the EPs as well, they're also available too. Uh, I'm sure you can find those. Uh, the Soundings of an Unnamed Bird, Book of Poetry, that's also available. There are some gigs coming up, and if you want to keep track of what David is up to in the future, check out his website or just do an old Google for David Keenan, and uh, you can't really go wrong. David, thank you very much for speaking with me today. I do appreciate your time. I wish you all the best with the gigs and uh, touch wood. We'll see you live at some stage in the not
0: too distant future. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for the conversation, man. Thank you. Irish Beats with Rob O'Connor on beat 102 103.